How about them cats? That was fun. That was really, really fun. Uh, as a pastor, I, I was kind of conflicted a little bit at times. Like, like, how aggressively can you cheer against a team that their university is called the Incarnate Word? <laughs> God showed up for us. I'm grateful. If I were to describe uh, my spiritual life growing up, I would say it was confusing to me. I had a mother who loved God. She walked with God. She taught me about the faith. She taught me about the stories from the Bible. I grew up around the truth. And one of the earliest memories I have is going to vacation Bible school with a group of kids from our neighborhood. And it was, to my recollection, that was the first time I had ever heard anybody talk about asking Jesus into your life. And so that just seemed like a reasonable thing to do. And so I asked Jesus into my life. But if I were to describe my life after that, probably for the next 10 to 12 years, I asked Jesus into my life probably 50 to 100 times. I was constantly asking Jesus into my life because I never felt connected to God. And even when I was in high school, my mom would take me to church And I enjoyed going to church. And she took me to a good church that taught the Bible and taught the Bible well. But I never felt close to God. There were times that I just thought, maybe I just need to read my Bible more. And I would read for a little bit, but it would would get kind of confusing and I would just lose lose interest and just kind of continue on with my life. Then I went to college. And my mom was so committed to trying to help me grow and understand my faith, she would actually send me cassette tapes. This is telling you how old I am. Some of you don't even know what cassette tapes are. She would send me cassette tapes of all the sermons from our church back home in Billings, and I listened to them. But I never felt connected with God. He always seemed like it was at a distance, and I knew that there was something that was not okay. During my sophomore year of college, I've shared pieces of this story before, but I ran into a friend that I'd met during the beginning of college, and he had come to faith in Christ, and he wanted to sit down with me and talk to me about Jesus. And I thought, you know, I I like him, and and I like Jesus. I'll do this. But in my mind, I thought, he is not going to tell me anything that I don't already know. In fact, I'll probably be able to tell him a few things. You know, I've kind of been around this maybe even longer than he has. As I sat there and we engaged and he talked about who God was, what he was like and what he had done for me, there was something that began to change in my heart and my life. I was kind of embarrassed because I knew that I didn't understand and when I walked away from that meeting, I can distinctly remember walking across campus and I got in front of the library and all I can say is I just knew that I was at a crossroads in my life. God was calling me to something. I didn't even exactly know what to do. Is this a invite Jesus into my heart again thing? What I knew was, and what I said to God was, if you're like what he just described, I want you in my life. I want to follow you. If that's what you're like, my life is yours. And then this lightning came down from heaven no, it, it didn't. In fact, I don't even remember that I felt anything. 
And it wasn't even until reflection, looking back on that time, that I began to see that there was a distinct difference in my life. The actual trajectory of my life started to change. Not right away. In fact, there's tons of baggage that, and brokenness that God was working through in my life. But I began to distinctly see that my life was changing. I had this sense that God was with me. This sense of nearness that he cared about me, that there was a closeness that was growing. And this is what was interesting to me is this book began to matter to me more. And it wasn't that I understood it. I didn't understand a lot of it when I read it. And I still don't understand a lot of it. There's things that are confusing. But the things that I did understand, I wanted them to be true of my life. I truly wanted to follow God with my life. And I began to notice that the things that mattered to me in life started to change. Just even the fundamental desires. I wanted to be obedient to him more than I ever had. And here's what's crazy to me. I remember that I was still living a lot of the life that I had lived before. I would find myself at parties, but I would find myself at parties oftentimes having conversations with people about Jesus. I was thinking, this is weird. But I wanted them to know and understand what God was doing in my life. I wanted to learn how to explain my faith, my newfound faith in him. And I wanted to be in environments where I could hear about God and grow and get to connected to other believers. I could see this distinct before and after in my life. As I started to look back and reflect on it, I began to ask the question, what was the difference? What happened? What was the difference? And here's what I used to think. Originally, I just thought, I finally got serious about my faith. But you know what I began to realize as I began to understand what the scripture talks about when it talks about faith? It wasn't that I had gotten serious about faith. It was that I had finally gotten faith. The kind of faith that the Bible talks about. And I've got to tell you that this was terrifying to me. Because at any point during that time in my life, if you would have asked me, are you a Christian? I would have said, absolutely, I'm a Christian. But when I look back, I can see now that I was lost. I didn't really know him. I had a lot of information, but I had very little transformation in my life. And it made me begin to think like, was I just the slow kid? Did did everybody else getting this except for me? And just somehow I just slipped through the cracks in American Christianity? Is that what happened to me? As I've walked in ministry a lot of years, This is what I know. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. There's a lot of people that miss it. They absolutely miss it. They know some things about God just like I did. They might even have some affection toward God, but they're lost. Absolutely lost. So here's the question that I think we've got to answer. What does it mean? What does it mean to be a genuine follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be a genuine follower of Jesus? As we head into this last week of our series that we're calling Upside Down, where we're walking through the Sermon on the Mount, this is the question that Jesus wants to answer for us. He doesn't want us to be confused about this question. He wants it to be crystal clear in our mind. In fact, in the middle of this section, he uses this scene of the final judgment 
to grab our attention, to help us understand just how important this question is. Matthew chapter seven and verse 21. Jesus says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Friends, for me, this is one of the most sobering scenes in all of the scriptures. People standing before Jesus, confused and they missed it. How? How did they miss it? What can we know about these people? Here's some things that we can observe just from the text. These people, they knew who Jesus was. When they addressed him, they called him Lord, kurios, meaning you are the Lord, you are the master, you are the king, you are the sovereign, even deity. This is who you are. They were theologically correct in who it was that Jesus was. They were professing Christians. They were identifying with him at every corner. Three different times in this, they said, we did this in your name. We did this in your name. We did this in your name. It's like, Jesus, we were with you. We had, we had a fish on our car. Jesus, we were with you professing Christians, and they were passionate. They were passionate. In the Hebrew language, when they want to show emphasis or passion, they repeat a word. They didn't just say, Lord. They said, Lord, Lord. Their hearts were passionate, and as far as we know, their hearts were sincere, but they missed it. And here's what I think is even crazier. They had a ministry resume. They did all kinds of religious stuff and it seems like they actually did it with gusto. They prophesied. They cast out demons. They did many miracles. All of that. They did all of those things. But even with all of that, the response of Jesus back to them is just simply, I never knew you. I never knew you. Sobering, so sobering. They had a resume. They were holding up their resume. Look at all the things that we did. But Jesus said, I didn't know you. And it's not an intellectual knowledge that Jesus is talking about. Jesus knew who they were. Jesus made them. He knew everything about them. But he was saying, I didn't know you in a relational way. When the scripture uses that word, no, it's talking about intimacy. It's talking about relationship. He's saying, I didn't know you. And when it all comes down to the end, when push comes to sub, that's all that matters. Did we know him? Did we have that intimate, personal, covenant relationship with the God of the universe? This is how Jesus said it in John 17, as he was praying to the Father, 
He says, and this is the way to have eternal life, to enter into his kingdom. This is the way to have eternal life, to know you, to simply know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, the one that you have sent. It's a relationship. It's a knowing with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit. It's not knowing about God. It's not doing religious things for God. It is simply knowing God. I'm gonna say it again. This text is unsettling. It should be unsettling to all of us. Jesus is being very provocative here. And friends, he means to. He wants to grab the attention of the people that are there. And he wants to grab our attention as well because this is too important to miss. Because he says many will. Jesus doesn't want you to miss it. If you think in that scene that Jesus somehow takes pleasure, he's got this maniacal laugh. (laughs) I never knew you get away from me. If you think that's what's going on in his heart, you don't understand the heart of Jesus. This is how Peter says it in 2 Peter 3, 9, how he explains the heart of Jesus. He says, no, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. He wants everyone to know him, to know him, to be with him, to follow him, to learn to be like him. That's what Jesus' heart is for us. But what does it mean to be that genuine follower of Jesus that Jesus will invite into his eternal kingdom? He doesn't want you to be confused. And so we're gonna look at the text today and there's three things that we're gonna understand about what it means to be a genuine follower of Jesus. One, it takes a decision Two, it takes some discernment. And three, friends, it actually takes some doing. The first one, he emphasizes strongly the necessity of a decision. He says, come, follow me. But this is how you need to come. You need to enter through the narrow gate and on to the difficult road. Matthew chapter seven, starting in verse 13. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The road that leads to destruction is broad and the gate is wide for many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few find it. Here's what we need to understand from what Jesus just said. The narrow gate and the difficult road, it's not the way to Jesus The narrow gate and the hard way is Jesus. It's an invitation from him. It's not a road to get on, it's to be with him. He says, I'm the gate. In John 10, nine, this is how he describes the reality that he's that narrow gate. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. And Jesus says, I am the difficult way or the difficult road. John 14, six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. 
narrow. Jesus is talking about a narrow gate. Narrow. We don't like narrow in our culture, do we? We want lots and lots of options. And you hear people say this all the time, like, like God is on the, the top of this mountain and there's, there's all these different roads up to God. Now, Jesus may be a road. He may be a good road. He might even be my road, but there's lots of roads up to God. Jesus is saying, it's narrow. There's not like, I am the road. I am the truth. I am the life. It's narrow. Friends, it's narrow. And we look at this invitation that Jesus gives us to come into this narrow road. It's small. It's constrictive. But in that narrow, constrictive place, Jesus is reaching out his hand toward us and he is inviting us to come and follow him. Follow me through this narrow gate onto this difficult road and walk with me. And here's the promise. The promise is that narrow way, it opens up into life. It opens up into freedom. When you look at it, it looks restrictive, but it actually brings life. It doesn't congest us, it brings life. And it brings life because we get our hand in the hand of the one who loves us the one who values us, the one who treasures us, the one who has the ability to set us free from the things that are holding us down. He says, I love you. I treasure you. The opinion of the one who matters most is the opinion that never changes. And he says, come and follow me. And he wants to set us free. Set us free from fear, condemnation and judgment. It looks narrow, but it opens up to life. That's the promise of the gospel. So how do we enter the narrow gate? How do we grab the hand of Jesus, the narrow gate? I want us to think back to the very place that this sermon started, the very first thing that Jesus said. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor in spirit, understanding their desperate need before God, before a holy, majestic, all-powerful God, their desperate need. I can't save myself. Only Jesus can do that for me. He's saying to grab the narrow gate is to grab the hand of Jesus and just say, I am going to follow you. I'm gonna surrender my life to you. And wherever you take me, through that gate and on that road, you are the king, you are the boss, I'm following you. To enter the narrow gate, it's not just some kind of a mild association with Jesus or some kind of general affiliation with him. Friends, what Jesus describes is a radical commitment. A radical commitment of our life that just says, I will follow you. I will be, you are the king, you are the sovereign. What you say goes. That's the invitation. He's not asking us to be Jesus likers, to be Jesus admirers. He invites us to be Jesus followers. And the only way we do that is by going through him, the narrow gate. I love how G.K. Chesterton said it. He says, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting, it has been found difficult, 
and not tried. Throughout this whole Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been talking about two things, two kingdoms, and now he's talking about two roads. And there's a way that I don't want you to understand these two different roads that Jesus is talking about. Because sometimes I think we have this idea that on one road, it's where all the good people, the moral people, and the religious people are on this road. And on this road over here, these are all the bad people and the immoral people and the irreligious people. That's not the picture that Jesus is painting throughout this sermon. In fact, the people that are on two different roads, they actually look very, very similar. Let's let remember back to chapter six when Jesus was talking about these two different kinds of people that gave to the needy, they prayed, and they fasted. He said they look very, very similar. They do the same things. They're giving, they're praying, and they're fasting, but they're doing it for vastly different reasons, and they're on two different roads. One group of people, they do that out of gratitude for what it is that God has done for them, out of generosity. But other people do it for selfish reasons, to be seen, or to be able to say, I've got a resume before you, God. I'm gonna do this, and so God, you owe me. On the outside, those things look very much the same, but Jesus is saying they are two different roads. The people on the wide road It's not just bad, immoral, irreligious people. A better way to think about the wide road is people that think that they can save themselves. I can have a resume before God that says, if I do this, you must do this for me. You must bless me. I will find life. I will do it myself. And some people try to find life apart from God and doing things that are immoral or irreligious and just saying, I don't want anything to do with God, but they're on the same road. And friends, that's why the road is so wide. That's why it's so wide. Lots of people on it. But here's what genuine Christianity is. Genuine Christianity is not being over here saying, this is what I need to do to make myself acceptable to God. That's what all the other religions of the world say. This is what you need to do. This will make you acceptable to God. No, this is what you need to do. This will make you acceptable to God. When we try to put a resume before God and say, this will make you acceptable to me, we just put Christianity in the mix with all the other religions of the world. But Christianity is unique. It's not us trying to figure out how do we reach up and make ourselves acceptable to God. It's actually God reaching down to us and saying to the poor in spirit, those that recognize their desperate need, I can do this for you and only I can do this for you. That's why blessed are the poor in spirit. When we come to that humble place where we just grab the hand of the narrow gate and the hard road and we say, I'm walking with you. I'm doing this with you, Jesus. That is what genuine Christianity is. But what makes it difficult, what Jesus is going to explain to us, is those things look awfully similar on the outside. Not everyone that's claiming to be on the narrow way is actually on the narrow way. So how do we know? How do we know who's on the narrow way? Jesus said you've got to look at their fruit. Look at the fruit of your life. Look at the fruit of their life. It takes, number two, discernment. We need to learn to discern fruit in ourselves and others. Verse 15, beware of false prophets 
who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. That is by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, as you can ident- yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. How do you know where someone's life is rooted? Look at their fruit. You can fool people for a while. But what Jesus is saying that ultimately a tree has to give itself up because you're gonna see the fruit. Over time, you will see its fruit. It can't hide it forever. When the scripture looks, talks about fruit, what is the kind of fruit that it's looking for in us? We spent all summer talking about the fruit of the spirit. Every week we were talking about the fruit of the spirit. Do we see that kind of fruit in people, in their conduct, in their character? Do we see love, a supernatural love for people? Is there joy? Is there peace? Is there patience? Is there kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control? When you look at their life, are those the things that are in their wake? Learn to discern fruit. You know, I could stand up here for a half an hour, 40 minutes on a weekend and give you a perception of who I am, really. This isn't the best way to see the fruit of my life. You wanna see the fruit of my life? Don't just see what you see here on the weekend. Talk to my wife. Talk to my kids. Talk to my neighbors. Talk to my coworkers. Discern that fruit, not only in others, not just in teachers, but even in ourselves. What is in the wake of their life? Jesus is saying that will help you know Good road, bad road. Good teacher, bad teacher. What is the fruit of their life? We need to learn to discern fruit in ourselves and others. And lastly, the third thing is to enter into the kingdom and to be on the road with Jesus who is the narrow gate. It takes some doing. Entering into the gate and onto the road results in doing some things. It means following him. It means obeying him. Here's how Jesus explains it as he continues in verse 24. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Do you hear that? He says, who follows it. Not just agrees with it, not just believes it intellectually, but actually follows it. Their life starts to conform to it. Though the rain comes in torrents and floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock, solid. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Now, is Jesus saying here 
that it's our obedience to him that saves us? No, 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 never. He is not teaching that the way of salvation or the way to enter the kingdom is through our obedience. It is always by grace. All of the New Testament talks about over and over again, it is only by grace, only by grace, only through faith, only through Christ, only grace. But here's what Jesus wants us to understand is those that truly profess faith in him, as they choose to grab his hand and follow him through the narrow gate and on to the difficult path, their life will conform to obedience over time. Not that there's perfection, but there's a model of progression. Our life continues to reflect more and more obedience to him. And here's what Jesus, I think, is saying. He's saying that that hard road that he's talking about, that hard road takes hard work. It takes hard work to follow him where he is asking us to go. But I'm gonna say it again. It is always about grace. But grace does not negate hard work. Hard work in following him. I love how Dallas Willard says it. He says, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. This is what he's saying. It takes hard work. It takes effort. Grace is never opposed to hard work, but it's opposed to earning. Thinking that we can hold a resume up to God and say, this is what makes me right before you. We don't work hard for grace, to obtain grace. We work hard from grace, from a position of acceptance, from a position of being loved, from a position of being valued. It's out of gratitude toward that that we just say, Jesus, I wanna obey you. It only makes sense for me to follow someone who would do that for me, who would make a way for me to have a relationship with the Father forever. And that's why the gospel, friends, it is never motivated by guilt and by fear. It's always motivated by gratitude and by faith. Trust in him. It's not a resume. It's not about building a resume. It's about building a relationship with God. It's about building that intimacy, that covenant with him. And what Jesus has been explaining to us is to enter into the kingdom in that way. It takes a decision to grab his hand and it takes discernment to be able to look at the fruit of our life and the life of others. And it takes some doing. It takes hard work to follow Jesus on the hard road. Here's where it lands for all of us. What about you? Where are you at with him. If you were in that original scene that Jesus describes to us, what would Jesus say to you? Because we're all going to get the opportunity to have that interaction with him. We're all going to stand before him. Every person on this planet is going to have that interaction with Jesus. What is he going to say to you? Here's the assignment that I want to give everyone here, everyone listening, everyone that hears the sound of my voice. I want you to take some time and I want you to answer that question for yourself. Not you just answer it. Let the Holy Spirit of God answer that question for you. I can't answer it for you. 
but he can. And this assignment, this assignment I'm giving you, this is how the Apostle Paul describes this assignment in 2 Corinthians 13. Here's what he says. He says simply, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is in you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. He's saying, hold your life up. Test your faith. And I hope that some of you are saying, how? How do I do that? I'm glad you asked. There's an entire book of the Bible that God gives us to help us understand where are we at as it relates to our faith in him. It's the book of 1 John. Because Jesus does not want us to be confused about this. He's given us an entire book to help us examine our faith. And I want you to hear the very end of the book of 1 John. There's five chapters. This is at the very end. John gives the purpose statement for the entire book. He says, and this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Life is found in him. The narrow gate, the hard road. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have God's son does not have life. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that, here's the purpose, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Not so that you may hope for, wish for, cross your fingers behind your back, I hope that I'm in. But he just says, I want you to know that you have eternal life. Here's what I want you to do. That book of 1 John, it's not John at the beginning of the Gospels, it's at the end. 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. There's five chapters in the book of 1 John. I want you to grab that book and maybe one chapter a day, five days, just read through it and just jot down, what does God say is true of someone that truly knows him? And write those things down. Make a note of it. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to take those things and I want them to, you to hold them up to your life and just begin to ask yourself, is that true of me? Maybe it's not perfect of me, but is there a progression in my life? Are those things becoming increasingly true of me? And here's what I believe this exercise can do for you. If you do that thoughtfully, prayerfully, you're gonna come to one of two conclusions And I think coming to either one of these conclusions is a big win. On one side, I think the Holy Spirit could just confirm in your heart of hearts, I belong to him. I am his and he is mine. That blessed assurance that we sing about sometimes, knowing that we know him. But maybe you'll come to another place. And I think this is a good place to come to where you actually realize, I don't think I know him. I don't think that I belong to him. Because friends, this is why I think that's a big win because it's that opportunity then to grab his hand, to come to that place where you just say, I'm poor in spirit. I have desperate need before a holy God. And we grab his hand, we repent and we turn to him and we say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Wherever you're going on the hard road, I want to go with you. I will follow you. Friends, if you want to misapply this sermon, this is how you do it. Try to build your resume to make yourself acceptable to God. 
to just say, I, I, I don't know. I'm gonna do more. I'm gonna try harder to make myself acceptable to God. Friends, that's not the gospel. This is what Jesus would say to do. Take your resume and do this. Your resume needs to be covered by the blood of Christ. He doesn't want your resume. He wants you. He wants your heart. He wants to cover your heart in his blood. He wants you to be his child. Don't give him a resume. Don't try to grow your resume. Grow your relationship through Christ. I'm gonna ask you to put your things aside. And I wanna just give you a moment here to reflect and just ask the Holy Spirit, God, what, Holy Spirit of God, what is it that you want me to take away from this today? God, we just come before you humbly today. And we just say to you in all of your majesty, we don't want to just know about you. We don't want to just try to do things for you. God, we want to know you. We want to know you. Jesus, thank you that you are the narrow gate and the hard road and you extend your hand to us. You don't ask us to bring a resume before you. You ask us to leave that behind because it doesn't matter. We can't earn it. But Jesus, we give you what we do have and that's us, all of us. Jesus, we want to follow you. We love you and we trust you. And it's in your powerful and resurrected name that we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.